just muted my microphone. Does anybody know what happened on February 6th, 1952? Elizabeth took the throne. Anybody know what happened the first Sunday of August in 1952? This church met for the first time. Everybody says this building's old. Right? I thought that irony was interesting there, or I don't even know if it's irony. It's just kind of, kind of wild to think about that, right? I was thinking about that there. Harry Truman was president when she took the throne. And how long has that guy been gone? Long time. Well, now we're going to take an even farther journey back to about 3,700 years ago little bit way in the way back machine. Turn to Genesis chapter 30. Uh, This is going to be a new adventure for me because preaching narrative out of the Old Testament is is an interesting thing to do. Uh, It's not like taking a passage in the New Testament and breaking it all down and turning it into this point and this point and this point and this point because they're stories. And so, it, for me, it's, it's a challenge every time I start looking at one of these narrative passages. And I haven't spent a ton of time in the book of Genesis. Genesis is its own text in itself. It's got uh, three or four different kinds of history in it. The first 12 chapters, we see the account of creation and then into the flood and the restoration after the flood. And, well, that didn't take long at all. Only a thousand years or so in 12 chapters. And then in chapter 12 and 13, we see this, this fellow named Abraham come on the scene, or Abram, as he's called then, and he journeys from a place called Ur of the Chaldees, which, as best as we can see on the modern-day map, is just about where Baghdad, Iraq is today, somewhere along the Euphrates River. And actually, a, a friend of mine who's deployed in the Middle East right now was in a helicopter uh, and, and took a picture of the Euphrates and sent it to me. It also had a rifle over it. I don't know whether... The, anyway, um, I, don't, I don't try to read into those kinds of things. But all I could figure out, because this, this guy wasn't a believer, is that he figured, hey, I know a guy who knows what that, that river means, what, what it came from. So it's still there. We have Abram, who, along with his family, journeyed his small family at that point. His uncle brought him. And his, I'm sorry, his father brought him. And... He journeys to what would ultimately become what we know today and call the promised land, modern-day Israel, the land of Canaan. Abraham married Sarah, or Sarai, as her name was first. Uh, There's some family drama there. I don't know that you uh, remember any of that along the way. I'm giving you a little background here because in order to get to where we're going now with the life of Joseph, it helps to understand what happened before Joseph. Because God makes a covenant with Abram, who becomes Abraham, who, and that covenant was something we talked about extensively over the last few months in the book of Galatians. It's a place we were at for a long time, that covenant of circumcision, or the marking of the people of God as a people of faith, a people of trust in the Almighty God. Now, it didn't come without some issues along the way. Abram was not a perfect individual. He and his wife tried to take things into their own hands, and it had some problems along the way. Yet God was faithful in His promise. He brought 
Abram a child when Abram was a, or Abraham was a hundred years old and his wife was ninety. Now, brother Bob, you want to be a newborn daddy right now? We'll let you borrow Wesley for a little while, and and we'll see, right? <laughs> I don't think that anybody who doesn't already have the babies are is ready for another one or for a new one when you're a hundred years old. So, but God it fulfilled His promise. He brought Abram a child with Sarai or Sarah. And that child was Isaac, the child of promise. Isaac then meets a lady named Rebekah, who is a, a, a cousin. And that's kind of the way things worked at that point in time. We don't see the rules with things. That the, the, the family lines were, were a, more a picture of the covenants of the Lord at that point. As we see the delineation, the, the multiplication of the peoples, we see God have those rules on there. But these families... The, the, the family tree was very much kind of a uh, trunk at, at this point. Um, and uh, what we see is that, that uh, Isaac journeys back to Haran, where his uncle is, and he, and he meets his, his bride, that is Rebecca. And Rebecca has the same kinds of issues, problems having, uh, getting pregnant and things like that. And ultimately, they have twins named Jacob and Esau. Now, Jacob and Esau... It were an interesting pair. They were twins, but you couldn't tell by looking at them. Jacob was the pretty boy. He had the nice, soft skin, and Esau was a hairy Scotsman or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, but the Esau means red, and they named him that because he came out red. I mean, he was he had a, he was a red hair, and the, the people of Edom ultimately come from him, which is a, a derivative of his name, Esau. But Jacob, then, there's deception. He and Esau don't get along too well. Jacob steals his birthright. Go, if you want to read about that, go back into the previous chapters we'll look at to today. But what we find is that Jacob was deceptive, and he stole the birthright. And, and that was actually prophesied to, uh, the, uh, that the, the older would serve the younger. And so now what we find is that Jacob goes back to the same area where his uncle is, and finds a different, rather close relative. Uh, and he finds that this relative has two beautiful daughters. Well, actually, one beautiful daughter, and one that's not so beautiful. And they, he meets the beautiful one at a well, which, if you look at the story, you'll see that that's uh, a common occurrence, in, the, in that they, they met people at the watering hole. And he meets this beautiful girl, and he decides, that's the one I want. So he goes back to her father, who happens to be his uncle, go figure, uh, and says, I want, I, want, I want to marry Rachel. She's the pretty one. But the problem for Laban, the father, is that Rachel's the younger sister. And in that day, they were supposed to marry in age order. Now, in our culture today, it ends up happening simply because of biology. Usually the older ones get married first, right? Doesn't always work out that way. But... Um, Laban is like, sure, work for seven years for me, and you can marry Rachel. Well, Laban was a human, and he was more concerned about his own wealth, his girls being taken care of, and so on the wedding night, he sneaks big sister into the tent instead of the younger sister. And when Jacob wakes up the next morning, he's not too happy about it. It's not like he could switch the light on, okay? And see what's going on. 
So Laban says, well, you can marry Rachel too. You actually married Leah just now. What? Yeah, it reminds me of one of my favorite songs. I, well, and I've talked about Rich Mullins before. He was one of my, he is one of my favorite songwriters. He died while I was in college. Young man, but he, younger than I am now when he passed away. But he wrote some amazing stuff. And one of the things he, one of the songs he wrote, it's a very short little poetic take on this story. It's, it's called Jacob and Two Women. It said, Jacob, he loved Rachel, and Rachel, she loved him, but Leah was just there for dramatic effect. And if you continue on in that song, it gets a little more confusing because I'm not a poet and I'm not that intelligent, so I have to really think about it as I, he tells the story. But it's true. Leah was the afterthought. Jacob wanted to marry Rachel. So, so Laban, daddy, says, okay, you already have married Leah. Now you can work seven more years after you marry Rachel. So he ends up working for him for seven more years. And then he works another six in order to gain his wealth. He ends up with a whole bunch of sheep, and that's a weird story too. And uh, Anyway, along the way, Jacob has two wives who happen to be sisters. Not complicated at all there, right? And then he also has children with their maids. And ends up with 12 sons and one daughter. And so where we pick it up right here... It's just a short little passage we're going to look at and, and examine how God fulfills His promise still in those times. And there's a lot to this story. And as we journey through uh, the, the latter part of the book of Genesis, looking at the life of this, this child, Joseph, that's born along the way, we will see some other things happen. And again, it's, it's a little different for me, the whole storytelling and, and finding the the ways that, and seeing how God is faithful and helping to communicate that to you all. But what we must realize as we come to all of this is that God's plan of salvation has been, been certain, it's been fulfilled, and it's been prophesied throughout history. These events right here were in the ballpark of fifteen to 1,700 years before Christ. I was doing the math in my head a minute ago, and I even messed it up. I had to fix it. You know, you carry the one, make the numbers bigger, things like that, because I almost said that. So Jesus, having lived 2,000 years from where we are right now, 2022, that just so you know, the year of our Lord, 2022, means, yeah, he was alive 2,000 years ago. We're looking at a story that is how old? You know, really, really old really, really old story. But it's the picture in, of God's plan along the way. So this character, Joseph, that we will examine today and look at his, his birth here, he is what is seen, and I'll make this statement several times uh, through this series, he is a type of Christ. He is not the Messiah, but he is one who prophesies whose life was a picture of what would ultimately happen with Jesus Christ. So we're going to start with that today, and we're going to get a couple of lessons from this short little passage in Genesis chapter 30. And I invite you to stand as we read these three verses together. Verse 22 of chapter 30. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. 
she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Lord, you are faithful and you fulfill your promises. And let us be reminded of your, your provision, your providence throughout history, through the life of this child that we read of this morning, Joseph. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. That was a short one. They won't be, always be that short as we, as we dive into here. Because, really, the story of Joseph doesn't take off until about chapter 37. But I, I thought this to be an important spot here because it draws us into the context of history. Jacob married Leah and Rachel, ends up having children with their two maidservants as well. So he has 13 children by four women, and they all live in the same house. And they all live in the same house. Actually, in, in the midst of all of this, we find their journey. They start out in Haran, uh, which is in the, the north. And they, they return to what is the promised land, the promise that was given to Abraham, the promise that was given to Isaac, his father and his grandfather. And what we see is that Jacob now has seen his wealth grow. So there's some parallels along the way. His, his grandmother had a hard time having a baby, right? His mother had a hard time having a baby. It ends up with two, and they don't get along very well. Anybody ever have that in your family? You don't get along with the sibling too well? And so there's a big conflict there, and it's a fascinating story. It's not one we're touching on, touching on today between Jacob and Esau. But then we find that Jacob has... Now, the, the, the first real picture of the recipients of, of the, the blessing that God has, has given Abraham and this promise of the, child, uh, the, the children that will outnumber the sands of the seashore. Because 12, 13 kids is a lot, right? Yes? It says the man with six, right? So... Uh, I, I can't even imagine, but you hear about that thing. My, my dad was the middle child of seven, three older brothers and three younger sisters, and he was short, and all his brothers were tall, and I, I always kind of teased. He didn't really like it very much, but I said he got all the leftover boy parts because they were all as big as me, and he was down here. Anyway, I looked just like him, but anyway, that, that, that kicker there. But yeah, genetics is a weird thing, and yet what we find here is that God made a promise back in Genesis 12 and following to Abraham, and he kept that promise. No matter what they tried to do to take care of the promise for him. And that happens throughout this story here. And it happened again, and it happens again in our lives today. We might read the scriptures and we see God make a promise to us, whatever it would be. And we wonder when it's ever going to happen. And then we go and we try to take care of it ourselves. And it may work out, eh, okay, it's all right, you know. Maybe it's, you know, th this is kind of a trivial thing in the light of, you know, the salvation history of mankind. But maybe you need a new car and you just get desperate for it. And so you just go down and buy the first one you see off the lot. Yeah, somebody just groaned. Somebody's experienced that, right? 
but then there's then you it's a beautiful car and you know and my my grandmother got a 1987 Cadillac Eldorado beautiful brand new kind of that 80s pink it was a weird pink but it's a beautiful car it was a lemon it had a lot of problems then about 10 years later my dad brings me this little pickup that I end up driving for three or four years along the way. And I'd never been happier to get this little pickup along the way. I wouldn't wanted that Cadillac because it kept breaking down. The little truck kept breaking down. It's usually my fault when that happened. It caused some kind of problem with it. It did have its problems. But then you, you get something and you realize, you, you think, oh, I'll just have this for a while. And then you have it a long time. And it turns out to be a really big blessing. Right? You wait sometimes and you get what God means to happen. And that's what happens here. Rachel, the younger, beautiful woman who Jacob loved, who he wanted to marry, gets pushed aside immediately. And Leah has her own issues. Leah, Leah, I may say one. Anyway. They, she's the unloved one. But God has mercy on her in that she has several children. She has five of her own, I think, at least, if I read through it correctly. Her maidservant has a couple. And, and actually, through her line comes Judah. And Judah is the tribe in which Jesus ultimately is fulfilled out of. It's not Joseph. It's not Rachel. It's that God blessed Leah And that. But now we see Rachel who's been watching her sister basically get all the blessings. And she grieved, and she was jealous, and she was hurt. But God. Verse 22, then God remembered her. Does it mean he forgot about her in the first place? That's not the same terminology with remembering. It's that he he remembered his promise. And Rachel had a baby. She conceived and bore a son. And God says, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph. May the Lord add to me another son. Now, ver, uh, that verse here, every, every one of the names in, in chapter 29 and 30, you kind of see all of Jacob's children come to pass. You, you see all these things that they try to do to make it happen. And are on people's mandrakes and things like that. Things that you go, what? going on there weird things people that had superstition about and you have all these names show up and all the names mean something if you read through here and so this name joseph means may the lord add or the lord has added to me and that's the blessing that rachel receives now rachel eventually has another child as well his name is benjamin and as we play into the story here of J- Jacob and, and, and Joseph and, and Benjamin and what happens along the way, because Joseph is an interesting guy, we will see that Benjamin comes into play too. But Benjamin, when Benjamin is born, Rachel died. She dies in childbirth. And so Jacob was very, very fond of Rachel, and as a result of that was very, very fond of the sons that she gave him. And that's, again, kind of how it leads here. And that's that's the title of the message today, A Child That Is Loved Above All Else. 
Because Joseph, by virtue of the fact that Rachel was the one he loved, Joseph was daddy's favorite. Now, in the great, in the great picture of things, was that right? It shouldn't be. It's not. But that's the way it was. And Joseph had some interesting personality characters and characteristics that we'll come back to that get him in a little bit of trouble along the way. But he's also an incredibly gifted person that ultimately leads to the deliverance of the children of Israel, or Jacob's name becomes Israel. And that's where we come through today, and that's what I think about even as we look at the context of everything that we celebrate today. As we come to the close of our service and the Lord's Supper, as we remember what happened 21 years ago this very morning on September 11, 2001, we remember God remembered his promise to Abraham and to Isaac, now to Jacob and through Rachel, offers her a child. This child, Joseph, offers deliverance to his brothers, ultimately. I'm not going to get spoiler alert. Most of you probably know the story, but just keep reading. It's been a fascinating account of how God delivers his people and brings rescue to them. But we have to be careful in the midst of all these problems not to take the things into our own hands. God will always bring fulfillment to his promises. Ultimately, the promise that we see fulfilled is the forgiveness of our sins. And that's what we remember through the Lord's Supper, that Christ died for you and for me. That His body is broken and His blood is spilled. And when we take this remembrance, we, we remember as, as He's instructed us that we remember His death until His return. It's a prophetic statement, knowing that our Savior, our King, is returning. But the lesson we must learn now is the lesson that the patriarchs had a hard time learning at the beginning. That is to wait. Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. I, don't, I didn't put them on the screen, but I want to draw our attention to them. I believe it's the perfect application for what we observe today is we remember the sacrifice that our Savior made for us that God had planned through the patriarchs, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 13 and 14 of Psalm 27. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. and Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Seventy years can feel like a day. Twenty-one years definitely can. God in history offers his promise from the dawn of time, and you see and you see it in Genesis chapter one. It sees its fulfillment in Christ, and ultimately at His return. And that's for what we wait today. And so as we, we have our time of invitation here, it's a time we can examine our hearts, 
and to remind ourselves that we need to be ready at whatever moment. We need to place our trust in our Lord and Savior and the promises He's given us. And then following that, as we remember the Lord's Supper, be reminded of His promise to come. So we'll have a time of invitation, and then we'll go right into our Lord's Supper time, where we will uh, remember what God has done for us as we wait for His return. Wait on the Lord. His plan is best. That applies for eternity, and it applies for right now. Don't get in a hurry when God has said, I'm going to do it. Trust Him. Let's pray. Our Lord, You are good to us. You are faithful. I thank You for the chance You give us to bless Your name. And I pray for the one that needs to take a step of obedience now to trust in You, and I pray that You give them the courage, give them the grace. I thank You, God, that You have eternal patience. You have it with us, and that you offer us your peace. As we worship you, may your name be praised. May we remember your goodness in Jesus' name. Let's stand together, and uh, we will have time of invitation to start.